Welcome, listeners, to the first episode of The Teacher Project. This is your host, RT. It is a beautiful, beautiful three-day weekend. It's about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I've cracked my first beer. Just got done with a a long session of parent-teacher conferences yesterday. Six hours worth of parent-teacher conferences. So by the end of the day, I felt like I got hit by a freight train, but Got a lot of really good feedback from parents about the things that I'm doing in my classroom, which was super encouraging. Obviously, there's always things to improve upon, and I'll kind of talk about some of that in this episode. This first episode, my focus is really for you as my listeners to kind of understand what makes me me as an educator, maybe some of my background, um, the things that I've done over the last few months within my career to really pivot, so a, a big piece of this episode is this idea of pivoting, whether it's in a career or whether it's a decision that you need to make based on reflection to make sure that you're the best version of yourself for your students and they're given the best opportunity to learn. So to begin, I guess a little bit of background information about RT, your host here. I didn't start out wanting to be a teacher. Out of high school, you know, I was really good at math and science So the natural progression for me felt to get into the world of engineering. So I started out as a civil engineering major, focusing on structural engineering. So, you know, focusing on bridges and designing buildings and things like that. And I, to a point, enjoyed it. I did engineering internships and, you know, I was three and a half years into my engineering education and I just pivoted. I started coaching and working with kids and did a lot of soul searching and made a tough decision. Again, after three and a half years nearing graduation that I didn't want to pursue engineering anymore. So from there, um, after that tough decision was made, I shifted into getting my, my physics education degree. Um, right after that, I got my master's degree in curriculum and instruction and now I'm pursuing my doctorate in learning design and leadership. So I'm, I'm super fascinated with the art and science that is teaching. You know, how teachers can design materials and deliver instruction to really make sure that as many students as possible get an opportunity to, to learn. And that's really what my master's degree and, you know, now my doctorate is focused on. But, you know, those, those two degrees that I either have or I'm pursuing they really focus on innovation as well. You know, how can we move education from this traditional didactic educational banking sort of enterprise to one where we're leveraging technology? We're not letting technology take over, but we're leveraging technology in such a way that it actually enhances and it improves students' ability to learn. So again, I've spent the last four years teaching a variety of different physics classes, whether it's calculus-based AP physics to algebra-based physics to introductory physics. And I, am, I, I love physics. I love getting a better understanding of the world around me. And I love being able to you know, pass that, that knowledge on to students and really see their excitement um, when they when they finally get something and they, and they you know, see this phenomenon and they're like, oh my goodness. I can explain that now. It's awesome. And I, I loved my last four years of, 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 of teaching. I, it was 
a phenomenal experience and I learned so much along the way. And, you know, I, I always kept my studies, you know, when I was pursuing my master's or now pursuing my doctorate, I really tried to take the things that I was learning in my classes and apply them to my own classroom. And I saw a lot of success, but I also saw some areas where things needed to be tweaked. And that's just me being a very reflective practitioner. And I, I pride myself on that ability. But one thing that, that maybe this is a flaw, I don't know. It probably is a flaw. I'm incredibly impatient when it comes to where I'm at in my career. I think even my first year teaching, I was looking at I was looking at director of curriculum and instruction jobs. Like, no, that's never gonna happen, pal. While I think I'm making a big difference as a teacher, I think that I have the ability and I have the knowledge and the skills to make an even greater impact as an administrator, getting into curriculum and instruction, being a director of curriculum and instruction. And um, I've always kind of perused job postings within that realm of education. And last year at the school that I was at, um, our director of curriculum and instruction was retiring and they posted that job. And I was fascinated because the, the job that they posted really was moving towards this idea of innovation. It was, it was moving towards let's, let's try and shift the mindset here. Let's try and bring in some new techniques that can be um, adopted school-wide to really make our school a hub of teaching and learning and success in teaching and learning. And I was like, well, if this isn't the best opportunity that I've had to push myself into administration, I don't know what is. So... Again, I'm, I'm, I'm a newbie in education. I, this is my fifth year teaching. So at the time, I didn't even have four years of, of, of teaching under the belt when, under my belt when this job was posted. But I went and I, I set up a meeting with our district administrator and I was like, hey, this is what I am training myself to do. This job is right up my alley. And I know that I could be successful. But I am a newbie in education. Is this even worth my time applying for? And our conversation was super positive and I was super encouraged leaving that meeting and it really pushed me into the preparation uh, for this job. So I spent hours upon hours working on my application, writing my cover letter, writing my personal statement. Um, I sought out some of the people that I respect most in education to write my letters of recommendation. And, you know, based on the work that I did, I got moved to the interview rounds and I was super excited. My first interview went great. It was only a panel of three people, but, you know, I got to kind of share just the overall vision that I had for the role and I got moved to the second round and the second round was only four other people. Well, three other people, four, including me. And I had to prepare a 15 minute presentation about my vision, what, what things would I want to incorporate and, I was super proud of, of that interview. You know, I, I brought forward a very innovative idea where we would develop a blended learning program to free up kids' time where they could go out and they could pursue internships and, and pursue job shadows and, and work with local businesses to really hit that career and technical education piece, which is something that that school has been pushing for the last couple of years. And, you know... 
again, I think throughout this process in the back of my mind, I'm still like, is this, is this all this effort that I'm putting in? Is it really worth it? You know, I haven't been teaching that long. I haven't been in education that long. Are they really going to be able to look past my years of experience? Well, lo and behold, about a week after that second interview where I had to give that presentation, I got a call from the district administrator and, you know, I can, I can tell in the tone of his voice what he was about to say, you know, Will, we moved on with, with two other candidates and you did a phenomenal job in the interview, but ultimately we couldn't look past your lack of experience. And I was devastated. I we got off the phone call. I sat at my office desk. I put my head on the desk and I started crying. And I don't know if I was crying because I was sad or I was frustrated. It was probably a combination of everything, but I was just devastated. I never felt that way in my profession before because I wanted this so bad and I knew that I could do a good job, but I need to be more patient. And I think that was the biggest thing that came out of this. And, you know, I was bitter and I was angry, frustrated, sad, whatever. I had conversations with my wife and my parents and, you know, one of my coworkers who I was really close with, who had actually just become a principal at a, at a new school. And the more that I had those conversations, obviously the bitterness and the frustration was still there, but it helped me think and, and realize that, well, maybe this job just was not right at this moment in time. So I still continue to think through all that had happened. You know, this is about a month and a half, two month long process. And I put so much work and so much time into it. And I was just still being eaten up by this lack of experience thing. So where I went was, okay, I, I needed to acknowledge that I had a lack of experience. Well, how do I get more experience? So I decided that I needed to pivot once again. I needed to do a complete career pivot. And what I decided was that I needed to leave the school that I was at and I needed to go pursue uh, a different level of education. So this year, I am now a middle school science teacher uh, at the school that my, my close coworker took over as principal. You know, this lack of experience thing is not the only reason that I took this job. If I'm being 100% honest, I needed to leave that school because I knew that I would feel uncomfortable looking at the people that were in that interview, that second interview with me. You know, they were my, they were my coworkers. They were my administrators. I also knew that I still was going to be bitter about not getting that job. And regardless of how amazing that candidate was that they hired, I knew it was going to be tough for me to really accept the things that she was going to bring to the table. And that is a serious character flaw of mine. And I, and I know that, but the reality is, is I just, I could not stay at that school anymore. Just knowing how bad I wanted that and how much work I put into it and how confident I was that I was going to succeed in that role. It would have just been too hard for me to, you know, see her every day, hear her ideas and think, yeah, I probably could do better than that. But anyway, now fast forward to present day. I am now a middle school science teacher. And I'm going to tell you what. You would think that middle school would be an easy thing 
to teach. I will tell you, it is not. Having taught, having taught high-level science for the last four years, and, you know, we, I always had little tiny struggles with students. You know, they may have not been strong mathematically or, you know, they struggled wrapping their brain around a particular concept. These kids had pretty high-functioning skills, right? You know, they, they, they were, for the most part, really organized. They were proactive learners. They weren't afraid to ask questions. I mean, the, one of the biggest things that I had to combat with those students was just this, um, this aversion of failure. You know, to me, failure is one of the greatest opportunities that we have to learn. And I found that high schoolers are really afraid to be wrong. They are incredibly afraid to be wrong. And it, it took some time for them to, to see that I wanted them to try things first. I wanted them to make mistakes because that pinpointed me to where they had holes in their knowledge, whether it was their conceptual knowledge or their mathematical knowledge. Well, now shifting into middle school and having taught high school for so long, I came in with the assumption that these kids were going to have the same level of function as high schoolers. And I don't know what I was thinking having that thought, but it was preposterous. It's just not possible. These kids are four, five, six years younger than the students that I was previously teaching. So I teach seventh and eighth grade, and it's amazing the difference between those two grades. And, you know, you'd actually think that the eighth graders would be higher functioning than the seventh graders, but I've had more struggles teaching my eighth graders than I have my seventh graders. My seventh graders still have this natural curiosity about them where they're just fascinated with everything that I present to them. And there's just this insane excitement that they have to learn something new. Like right now, we're, we're, we're discovering uh, space. And the way that I teach space science is far different than probably any other teacher, not to be braggadocious, but space science is a heck of a lot more than memorizing the order that our planets of the solar system are in. It's all about discovery. So I give these kids, you know, videos and I give them readings and we we're talking about the scale of our solar system, the scale of our galaxy, the scale of our universe. And these kids are just mind blown by how small we actually are uh, in, in, the, in the grand scheme of our universe. And it's, it's so cool to see. Now with my eighth graders, and I don't know if it's just the different attitudes or maybe the, just the, the, the personalities that are in that class versus the ones that are in my seventh grade class. But there is just an apathy within these students to, to learn that I'm really struggling to break, break out of. And there's a lack of proactiveness amongst these students that I'm really struggling with. So this year, just with everything that's going on, COVID-related, my school has gone to a modified block and, you know, we have our distance learners at the same time. So what I thought at the beginning of the year was, how can I make sure that my in-person students are getting the same experience as my distance learners? Actually, I probably should rephrase that. How are my distance learners getting the same experience as my in-person learners? So what I, the conclusion that I came to was self-paced learning structure. So what I mean by that is, I design all of my lessons ahead of time. 
and then I put them on a learning management system called Canvas. And students work their way through those lessons, whether they're, they're getting some information for notes, whether they're doing some practice activities. And then those lessons culminate with a mastery check, which they take, they get feedback on it, they have an opportunity to reassess if they didn't show mastery. And I thought, wow, this will. Hey, nice job, buddy. This is going to be awesome. It's going to be just the greatest thing ever. It might transform education. And obviously, I'm probably not the first person that's ever done this, but I was like, these kids are going to thrive in this. I'm giving them freedom. I'm giving them the opportunity to be an individual learner, to seek out information, and this will free me up to give them the individual attention that they need. Well, (laughs) I tell you what, again, my seventh graders, absolutely thriving, absolutely thriving. You know, they're, they're seeing these videos that I present that you know, our, our show simulations and models of how our universe created, how our galaxy was created. And I can see their excitement and they actually bring me over and have conversations about things. My eighth graders, first off, getting them to read directions, I would have never thought that it was going to be that difficult to get them to read a paragraph of what to do within that lesson. But second of all, there's just no drive. They don't know how to operate with as much freedom as I'm giving them. And they don't know how to ask the the question if they don't understand something. They're very content to just sit there and say, well, guess I'm not going to know that. So I've had a lot of thinking to do recently. I've had a lot of decisions that I've really been putting off because I've, I've been in this mindset of, well, these kids just don't get it. These kids, they just... They just don't know how to operate in this environment. I don't, I'm not going to change. I'm going to keep doing this and they're going to figure it out and we're going to get them there. And that's been the complete opposite mindset that I've needed. Um, over the last couple days, you know, I've, I've really thought about how I was super successful teaching physics the last few years. And it was very much a mix of, you know, me being in control but then also giving students the freedom to explore. And right now with that eighth grade group, with just the the, the attitudes and, you know, the different personalities that are, that are present there, I think that they need that. I don't think that they can operate with the complete amount of freedom that I'm, that I'm currently giving them. I think they need me to take control a little bit and maybe give them some skills before we may eventually dive back into this self-paced structure. So it's Friday, it's the start of my three-day weekend, and this is what I get to toil about the rest of the weekend is to how do I, how do, I do a complete pivot here? How do I express that, hey, I've been a failure to you so far. I have not done the job that I need to do for you as my students to make sure that you're going to be as successful as possible. And I'm also not doing a good enough job building relationships with you because I haven't been able to really talk to you because you haven't wanted to really talk to me. And I think that this is a really important learning lesson for for a lot of teachers. And, you know, maybe I'm late to the game. I don't know. But I think it's okay to show kids vulnerability. I think it's okay for us as teachers to say, hey, what we, we tried this thing. And we failed, 
but now it's 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 our job to learn from it and improve upon it. And I and I preach this to my kids all the time that failure is an opportunity for success. And I think that this is a great opportunity for me to actually model that and to show them that. Now the tricky part is logistically with this self-paced structure, I have some kids that are way ahead and some kids that are way behind. So I got to figure that out now. But I think that this idea of pivoting, and I've already talked about three different pivots that I've done, whether it was, you know, when I was in college or now I, I made this career pivot and now I'm making a pivot in my own practice to make sure that I'm being the best version of myself for my students. I think that this is an opportunity for me to show my students that great ideas or ones that look great on paper, they might turn into failures. And once again, that's okay. It's tough to admit, and it's going to be a tough transition out of this, but I need to do better. And I need to let them know that I need to do better. Because I don't know if they've had teachers that have actually been able to do this before. And I think through all of this, despite the failure that I've had, I think that this really shows how good of an educator that I am. Again, I don't want to be braggadocious in this podcast and admit that I'm the greatest teacher that's ever existed, but I don't know if a lot of teachers would be willing to do this, to completely abandon a plan that they had for a class. And I don't know if they'd be willing to be as versatile and to be as flexible as I'm being right now. And maybe I'm completely wrong. I don't know. I don't, I don't see a lot of other teachers, you know, what, what, what other teachers do. But what I do know is I need to do this. And this, is, this might be the most important pivot that I've had to do in my educational career. I need to be better for my students. And I need them to know that I'm going to be better for them. Whew. All right, so I'm out of beer. I need to go replenish. But sincerely, I want to thank you listeners for listening to this first episode, joining me on this journey. I think that this podcast really has an opportunity to do a lot for people that are in education, but for people that are not in education. And I want to give my listeners an opportunity to interact with me. So I posted a link uh, in the description of this podcast where you can go and you can leave a voice message. If you have any questions about the field of education, you have comments about this episode, I would love to hear from you. And I'll build in some time in subsequent episodes where I can respond to your comments and answer any questions that you might have. But again, Sincere gratitude. Thank you for listening. Have a phenomenal weekend. Cheers.